If you want to open it up, and we're going to turn to the book of Luke together this morning. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. And this is what it says. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deeds before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said, he is alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. As they approached the village to which they were, where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he appeared to Simon. Then the two were told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Well, I'm going to invite Arthur to come up, who's going to speak to us this morning. And Arthur, as you do, I just want to honour you this morning as you come and you bring the word to us, honour you for your friendship. One of the blessings for me over COVID has actually been to get to know you and to eat curry with you and to drink beer with you. It started um, on our trip to plan an open air carol service, which never happened. 
and it went on from there. And I just want to say thank you for your friendship and look forward to what God is going to say to, you, to us through you this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you for this opportunity to open up your words. And we pray, Lord God, this morning, you'll give us ears to hear what you have to say to each and every one of us. Thank you for Arthur. Thank you for what he's prepared. And I pray, Lord God, you'll use it to encourage, to edify, and to spur us on to the things that you are calling us to this day. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Luke. Thanks so much for those words as well. I, I texted Luke and said, what, do you, what, can I, what should I wear? You know, because I'm a guest in your church, really. And so he said, make sure you wear brown shoes, jeans, and a shirt. Leave the shirt untucked. <laughs> so, um, so thanks for the heads up. I'm glad. We don't have a uniform in the video, but obviously you do here at home. Um, <laughs> so uh, before we pack on with the uh, talk about this uh, fantastic visitation from Jesus, I want to take this chance that I have to thank you on behalf of Vineyard personally, everyone here at home, um, for the way that you have scooped us up and welcomed us in like this. There was no one at the inn for the vineyard. We found ourselves homeless and uh, you provided a home for us. And we really appreciate it. It's, it was a real blessing, both materially, we had somewhere physically to meet, but also it was a real encouragement as well. We've got friends out there who are willing to do this for us. Psalm 131, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his head. It is as if the dew of Hermon are falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And it's, a, you know, unity, we talk about it, don't we? But it's actually actions, that's what unity is all about. And this is a great action that you've done for us, so I'm very grateful. Uh, enough of the soppy stuff, let's um, move on to the scripture. And I'm going to start with a confession. Uh, I, have a, I have face blindness. Now, um, I didn't realise that face blindness was a thing. It means that you find it really hard to remember people's faces. And then I heard Stephen Fry being interviewed about it, and I realised it was a thing and it had a name. And I thought, oh, I, I have that too. Uh, so to give you an example, probably the most extreme example I can call on, was when uh, Sarah and I had lunch. We lived in Winchester and we had lunch with... No, sorry, it was Plymouth, wasn't it? Yeah with some um, friends who had children at the same school at Compton as ours at the time. And we had lunch with them, we had lovely lunch, and then it was time to go and pick up the kids. And both of us had children in reception at the time. And I don't know if any of you are here, parents, and you've got the, the school gate thing. Oh, I absolutely hate it. But I realise face blindness makes it a bit harder. Because you're all standing there like lemons. No one talks to each other. Uh, well, some of the ladies do, maybe. But otherwise, and I, I found myself standing around waiting for the doors to open to rescue my child. And then I was aware of a guy standing just a, two metres to my right. And I looked at his face and I thought, he looks familiar. Do I know him? And then I thought, did I just have lunch with him? <laughs> and I couldn't for the life of me remember his face. I actually looked down and he was wearing Merrells. And I remember when we were sitting there, I looked at his shoes and I could see Merrells on it, you know, these sandals. So at that point, I realised it was him, and I shuffled up and said, well, here we are then. And we started that high-level, deep conversation that men are so good at. And uh, so that's what it's like for me. I have to go on clues sometimes, or I have my wife, and I say, do I know them? She said, yes, she spoke to them yesterday. Great. Uh, well, our story today 
happens immediately after Easter, and it's the first ever written account of face blindness. Uh, although for these two, there were many, uh, some different reasons for not recognizing Jesus to the reason that I might have as an excuse. So we have them walking along to this village from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So a bit of geography, it's probably a bit like walking from here up to Yelverton, I would have thought. It's about seven miles. Uh, we, we know where they're going, but we don't know why they're going there. Uh, they might have work commitments. They might live there. They might be visiting their mother-in-law. Um, we're not quite sure, but there is a clue later on. But before we get there, I just want to press pause and acknowledge one of the best lines in the Bible. Uh, some of our women amazed us. <laughs> Don't you love that line? I mean, behind every successful man, there is a surprised wife. And uh, women have continued to amaze us ever since, haven't they? Particularly in church. And God knew what he was doing when he appeared to the females first. So this is the biggest event in the universe. And he chose the first witnesses of it to be women. And the women tend to get there a bit quicker than the guys. I'm generalizing, but they tend to get it. Uh, us chaps are a bit slow to cotton on. We sort of arrive late at the party and our women surprise us and amaze us. And these guys here hadn't cottoned on, had they? They didn't recognize Jesus. And they didn't recognize the resurrection and the significance of it either. In fact, I would go so far as to say that probably, I suspect, the reason they were heading out of Jerusalem to Emmaus was because they were downhearted, they were disillusioned, and they were giving up on this whole Jesus thing. It's a bit like the disciples when they went back fishing. They were heading away from Jerusalem. And if you like structures to your sermons, you'll be really pleased with this, because I've got five points, but the first two are all about Jesus and our response. And then I've got three things that we need in order to make that response happen. So point number one is that Jesus meets us where we're at. So they're walking away from Jerusalem, they're disillusioned, they're downcast, they're disheartened, and Jesus just comes alongside them and starts talking to them. He doesn't reveal himself straight away, does he? He just allows them to process some of their stuff. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if I was Jesus at that point. I would probably have burst on the scene and say, hey, guys, I'm resurrected. It's all right. You don't need to be worried or upset. But I wonder whether there was a process there that they needed to go through, that they needed to talk out this, and then he needed to unpack the scriptures and help them understand what was going on. And just at the end, when he broke bread, that was when he was revealed. And, of course, then he went. And they were left, didn't our hearts burn within us? <laughs> So point one, Jesus meets us where we're at. Point two is we need to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. Now, let's be real here. It's okay to be real, isn't it? Jesus has shown us this. Some of you are not in a great place. It's a bit like these two. There are a few things that have happened over the last few years that have left you somewhat disappointed or disillusioned or downcast. In fact, I wonder whether in all of us there's a little bit of this. Maybe church went off the boil for you the moment the uh, initial novelty of online services wore off. Do you remember the first early days, those first Sundays? It's amazing. We can still meet even though we're not there presently, physically. We can meet on the internet. But, you know, very soon for many of us that sort of wore off, didn't it, that novelty. And it became difficult. Or maybe COVID exposed where church community, that's a family that we speak so much about, let you down a bit. 
Maybe that community was a bit thin. Or maybe discipleship, yours, your discipleship or other people's discipleship, was uh, exposed to be a bit superficial. Because churches and Christians in general, we thought we were doing so well, didn't we? And then COVID hit and we realised actually we weren't doing quite as well as we thought. We weren't quite as effective as we thought we should have been at generating disciples, at doing community, at creating this organisation that's going to send people into the world and make a difference. And people have wandered away, either from faith or from gathered communities. Although I personally think you can't really detach the two. So it's been a difficult time and we need to be real about that. And then on top of that, we've got the, the, the war in the Ukraine and then the cost of living. And it seems that things are not going quite so well out there, isn't it? And maybe some of you are wondering, is Jesus really the answer to all this? He seems a bit silent at the time when we need to hear from him most. And church seems a bit, well, rubbish. And does Jesus have the answer? It's all right, this does pick up a bit. <laughs> Was any of the stuff that's happened over the last few years a surprise to God? Should we be worried on behalf of God Almighty? Is this really his first rodeo, folks? How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Jesus said to these poor guys on the road to Emmaus. And then what did Jesus do? He started interpreting all these short-term occurrences, which probably felt pretty massive at the time. He started interpreting it in the context of this bigger story of the salvation of the world. And then it all began to make sense. So what do we need? First of all, we need the word. We need the word of God. It's time for us to get stuck into our Bibles and to understand God's plan of salvation and understand where we sit in that plan. So having a proper theology, not just pulling out verses that we like and sticking them on the fridge with a picture of a rainbow or waterfall, but grasp what the boffins call the meta-narrative. Now, I'm not saying that sticking the verses on the fridge is a bad thing, by the way. I think that's a really, really good thing. But we also need that context of what does this say from the beginning to the end and where do we fit into it? And where does church fit into it as well? What is the place of church in the world? And I wonder whether we have slightly, in the consumerist culture into which we are immersed has slightly leaked into our hearts a little bit and leaked into our mindsets. Do you think that's possible? Maybe we've lost sight of what church is all about. And could it become, become a little bit more about our experience? Dare I say our entertainment or our satisfaction? I'm sure none of us here would like to admit that. But I wonder in our subconscious, our concept and idea of church has maybe slipped a little bit from what the Bible says to what culture says or to what we want. <coughs> Now, I love a bless-up. I love it when the worship is banging, the place is full, the preach is inspiring, and we leave feeling like God is in his heaven and all is well with the world. I love those Sunday mornings stroke afternoons, don't you? Or the conferences you go to. I think those are inspiring, they're, they're uplifting, and it's, it's brilliant. I'm well into that. But church is not actually all about that. Church is a gathered community 
who care for each other, who represent Christ to the world, who minister to the lost and to the broken and to the hurting, whether or not that gives you a buzz. And it often doesn't look or feel particularly spectacular. But surely if we've understood anything about Jesus, we realise that he's not about the spectacular. He's not about the feel-good worship gathering. It's not bad, it's a bonus. These mountaintop moments, they encourage us, and then we go out and do it. They're not the be-all and end-all. And that's what being rooted in the word does for us. It helps us understand that. It gives us a picture, a, a big picture within which to understand the small picture that we're in in this moment. So this cultural moment that we are in right now, with all the stuff going on around, all the stuff that has gone on, what we do is we take that and we set it into here and we say, well, God, what's your long-term plan and how do we fit into that? That's what the word of God does. We also want the spoken word as well, don't we? We need the prophetic voices right now to speak into our circumstances. Whether that's speaking into what God's doing in us as a church, a sort of wider thing, or whether it's speaking one-to-one, encouraging someone on a Sunday, for instance, or texting them midweek saying, I feel the Lord is saying this to you. We need the word of God in all of its forms. What else do we need? We need the sacraments. It says here, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. And then he disappeared from their sight. What is it about sitting down to eat together and then breaking bread and celebrating communion? It's funny, isn't it? Jackie Pullinger, uh, who works with drug addicts in Hong Kong, she came to our Vineyard National Leaders Conference a few years ago. And uh, someone asked, they said, what would your advice be to Vineyard right now? What was one thing you would say to us? And you might expect, it being Jackie Pullinger, if you've read her book, Chasing the Dragon, really, really good biography, uh, you might say, well, you, you might expect her to say something about speaking in tongues or looking after the poor or mission. But her response was this. She said, prioritise taking communion together. Make sure you regularly share the Lord's Supper. And sure enough, when we were at dinner on little tables in the restaurant, there she would be with her team, and they would they'd have their wine and their bread and they'd just break bread and have communion together, just five or six around a table. And she'd do that every evening. I thought, that's interesting. That's fascinating. What is it about sacraments? We don't really understand them, do we? Why they're so significant? It says that it was at that moment that their eyes were opened and they recognised him. So it's through the breaking of bread that their face blindness was healed. And as someone who wants to reach out to the unbeliever, I often try and make Jesus and his Gospels a bit more palatable than I, than I think I need to be uh, to the people I speak to. I try to make it understandable. And I try, I try to make it rational. But it, the fact is, a lot of it doesn't make sense. There is mystery and there is supernatural. For instance, communion. How can there be power in this slightly strange religious sacrament that Jesus commanded us to do? And the early Christians, because of this, were called cannibals, which I thought was quite interesting. There's lots of things that was weird then, and sometimes we try and reduce the weirdness. Sometimes I find in church, generally, I find that the stuff that shouldn't be weird, we make really weird, and the stuff that is actually genuinely weird, we try and tone down a bit. Do you find that? The thing is, we don't need to convince the world, to explain away the mystery, to rationalise power. Because 
It was when the followers were on the road to Emmaus, Jesus broke the bread. Then their eyes were opened. It wasn't Jesus' convincing apologetics to them. It was the breaking of the bread. It was the Holy Spirit that made their eyes open. So isn't that what we need for the people that we're speaking to? I know we try our best. And we try and explain. And we try to be there for them. And we try to, you know, we try everything, don't we? But the clincher is, are the eyes of their hearts going to be opened by the Holy Spirit? So this is the third thing, this thing that we really can't explain to the world, but we desperately need, and that is the Holy Spirit. It says here, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on us today. Because without the Holy Spirit, it's all human endeavor. It's all good intentions. And more than anything, we need the Lord, to catch our hearts on fire. Do we not? On on, on fire for the lost and for the broken and the hurting. On fire for each other. Our hearts need to be on fire to read the word. To meet together and to worship. I mean, we want to gather on Sunday excited to see God move. We want to meet together midweek because... Yes, because we need to and it's important, but because we want to. We want to reach out to the poor. We want to reach out to the lost and to the hurting and to the marginalised. Because we're driven by compassion and empathy rather than a sense of duty. Sometimes we don't have that and it's a sense of duty that leads us on. But it's so much better when the Holy Spirit lights a fire in our hearts. And I wonder what your understanding of revival is. If I was to say revival's coming, what is it you would be hoping for? Because sometimes I wonder if we've got a bit muddled about revival over the years. So how many times when we ask God's spirit to fall, are we actually hoping for a jazzed up Sunday morning? And we're hoping that the preach would just be a little bit more interesting. And that the worship would be fantastic. And then loads of people would just pour through the door. Very exciting. But very irrelevant if you think about it. Because revival is what goes on in here. And revival is what propels you out into the world. And the culture that we're in is changing so fast. And we need to ask Jesus about new wineskins for new wine, don't we? And I suppose it doesn't matter what revival looks like, but we want to experience revival. These disciples had it. They experienced revelation and excitement for kingdom mission that lay ahead. The light bulb went on at that point and they realised it was Jesus who was walking alongside them all the time. Now Jesus is walking alongside you right now. And I don't know if you're heading away from Jerusalem or back to Jerusalem right now. If you're heading away, my advice is just turn around. Ask for revelation Ask for a new heart. Acknowledge any disappointment and disillusion that you might have. That's okay. Remember, Jesus allowed them to talk it out. Don't just stuff it up and pretend it's not there because it's not Christian. You're allowed to be disappointed. You're allowed to be disillusioned. You're allowed to struggle. Bring it to Jesus. And Jesus is walking alongside you right now. And he's saying, you're not supposed to be heading away from Jerusalem. That's not my best for you. My calling on your life is not away from Jerusalem. It's actually back to Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem there's a job for you to do and there's a people for you to do it alongside. 
Now, if you're heading to Jerusalem already, God bless you, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Does your heart burn within you, or are you trudging? Because for some, it has been a long walk of obedience in the same direction, which is great, by the way. It's really to be honoured. But God wants to put a spring in your step. So in Jerusalem, we find this small, persecuted, afraid bunch of newbies who've got no idea what they're doing. All the odds are stacked against them. But God was in it, and he was in what they were doing. It didn't look great. It didn't feel great. They were scared and frightened. They didn't have a template. They didn't have the scriptures like we've got and 2,000 years of Christianity and tradition to look back on and celebrate. They just had themselves and the promises of Jesus, which they didn't quite understand. But God was in it, and Jesus was alive. Everything else was just detail shmitas. So there we have it. Jesus meets us where we're at. He comes and he finds us. But we don't need to perform. We don't need to tidy ourselves up. We don't need to do anything special. We just need to turn around and recognize his presence. Recognize where he's at work. And we need the word, both written in this book and the prophetic spoken word in order to help us understand where we are at right now, in the light of this bigger picture of God's salvation. So we need to understand our context and the work of God in the world through his church. That's theology. And that's where the the sacraments come in as well. It says there in the New Testament, don't stop meeting together as some in the habit of doing. When we meet, we break bread together. And there's power in the sacraments. And if you find yourself heading away from Jerusalem today, away from the gathered community of saints in this world, away from God's calling for you to be part of his kingdom work, then turn around, get back to the family business. If this building falls down, I'll yell run and we'll all head out the fire exit, okay? Uh, Sorry, yes. God's calling all of us to roll up our sleeves and get back to the family business, which is being Jesus to the world, getting out there and sharing the message of God, gathering together and worshipping, being representation of heaven on earth. And there's power in it, but the power isn't always obvious and it's not always fantastic. Sometimes it's a bit mundane. And it's a bit sort of trudgy. But God doesn't want you to trudge. He wants to set your hearts alight. Because if he said, right, I want you to go back to Jerusalem. And I want you to get stuck in. And I want you to proclaim my kingdom. And I'm calling you to be on the team. Then that's great. I'll do it. But I won't keep it up for very long. Not on my own strength. And nor does he want me to. And some of us have been keeping going so long on our own strength. And I think he wants to give you the blessing of revival in your heart. To get you excited again about his word, about him, about his, his resurrection and resurrection life in the world. See, Jesus is alive just as he was back then. Just as he was two years ago, 20 years ago. And his MO, his modus operandi, it still remains the same. He chooses the weak to shame the strong. He chooses the foolish to shame the wise. So if we've got any foolish people here, or any weak people, then you're on the team. If you're not sure what the plan is, and the odds are stacked against you, then you're on the team. 
And right now, I want you to be. Pray, I want to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, for your hearts to burn within you again. Because, folks, we're heading back to Jerusalem. Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray and love you to receive everything that God's got for you. And I think the band are coming up. Is that right? And we're just going to finish with a bit of worship. Now, this is invitational, isn't it? Your response is down to you. But I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you right now. Come, Lord Jesus. We all need you, Lord. We love it that you don't expect anything of us. You come alongside us wherever we are, whatever direction we're heading. And you love us and you're patient and you're kind. But we love it that you've called us as well. That you've got a plan that is so much greater than just going back to the same old, same old. And we love it that you don't expect us to do it on our own strength. And I just want to honour those people who have just felt dry over the last couple of years but have not given up. Lord, would you bless them now? Come, Holy Spirit. If that's you, just pray a prayer. Just say, Lord, would you come and revive me today? Holy Spirit, come and fill me. And there are some here who are, but they recognise that you recognise that you are heading away, and you haven't yet done that turnaround. Ask yourself, is this morning the morning for you to turn around? To put your faith back in the Lord Jesus and his gathered community, as known as church. As weak and rubbish as it is, it's your weak and rubbish, Lord. We're here for you. It's your idea, your plan. If that's you, pray that prayer and just say, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm going to make that turn today. And now we say, Holy Spirit, come. Come upon your church. Make yourself known to us, Lord Jesus. There may be somebody here who's been flirting with following Jesus for a number of months now. And he's saying, I am here. And he's breaking bread before you. And revealing himself to you. If you want the eyes of your heart to be open, just say, Yes, Lord, that's me. Open my eyes.